going to go ahead and try to get started here. So again, if you can hear me out there in the lobby, come on in. And it's my pleasure now to introduce uh, Dr. Betty Dong, uh, another local here from UCSF. And she's a professor of clinical pharmacy uh, at UCSF. And she's going to talk to us this afternoon about drug-drug um, interactions and their management in the clinical setting with uh, HCV DAAs. Great. Thank you, David. I hope you guys all enjoyed your lunch. And I know our brains are full from this morning, and I know our stomachs are full, so this is a perfect time to talk about drug interactions. So here's my disclosure. And these are my learning objectives here. We're going to talk about mechanisms and discuss uh, clinical management of selected hepatitis C drug-drug interactions and talk about some contraindications. So I wanted to start off with a response question. If you could uh, please log in your answers. Well, I would say you guys are an impressive bunch here. I, maybe I don't need to give this presentation if 62% of you already checked for drug-drug interactions. OK, we'll see how much you know about drug-drug interactions. Here's another response question for you to uh, please answer. So it says, which statement best describes the drug interaction potential of bocephavir and tilapavir? And I won't read the distractors here. So you guys mentioned two, and I'm going to go through some of the data, and we'll answer this question at the end. So 79% is pretty impressive. So I am going to start off first with a primer to make sure that we're all on the same level. And as many of us know, if we're HIV providers, we are very akin to knowing about drug-drug interactions, especially those involving the uh, 3A4 system, which is responsible for about 60% of drug-drug interactions. Um, this, this is a little bit simplistic, <clears throat> but I just want to make sure that we're all on the same level. So a 3A4 substrate is just a fancy name for a drug that is metabolized through the cytochrome P453A system. And some of these drugs include, of course, our hepatitis C protease inhibitors, our HIV protease inhibitors, as well as non-nucleosides and drugs such as statins. A 3A4 inhibitor is a drug that actually increases the level of the substrate, and this can actually potentially increase efficacy or increase toxicity depending on the drug. And both tilapavir and bocephavir are 3A4 inhibitors. And when we think about this drug interaction, we expect this interaction to happen fairly quickly. So we should see these interactions within two or three days. And when you stop bocephavir or tilapavir, this interaction should pass within a week. Now, contrast that with an inducer, which actually increases the elimination or clearance 
of the substrate, but this takes longer to be evident because you have to make the enzymes that cause induction. So often this interaction will not appear for as long as one week or later, depending on the drug that it's being affected. And when you stop the drug, the interaction may persist for up to two to three weeks. Now, we have no evidence to date that indicates that the hepatitis C direct acting agents are inducers. Now, even though I say this, many of our interactions look like induction, but we don't have any evidence to actually uh, confirm this at this time. <clears throat> Area under the curve is considered drug exposure. And using the FDA criteria for significant drug-drug interactions, uh, a change in AUC, that's more than 50% increase or more than a 80% decrease in drug exposure, is considered a significant drug or strong drug interaction. <clears throat> now, with changes that are two to five-fold changes in AUC or less than an 80% decrease in exposure, these are considered moderate, uh, clinically significant drug-drug interactions. <clears throat> Sorry. And with um, antiretrovirals, we often know that the efficacy of antiretrovirals are related to the semen or trough of the agents. We don't have that data yet for hepatitis C protease inhibitors, but it seems like this is probably going to be true. But we're going to be looking at both exposure and uh, trough levers, levels as indications of efficacy for the hepatitis C protease inhibitors. Um, I want to say that as I go through this presentation, I'm going to be presenting data that looks at PK evaluations in both healthy and hepatitis C um, infected individuals. And we know that always hep C uh, individuals and healthy individuals PK do not always uh, correlate. <clears throat> So this is data showing that bocephavir and telapavir are 3A4 substrates. And I just want to get you used to the terminology here. So you can see that ketoconazole is a potent inhibitor. And we look at the AUC of bocephavir. You're seeing a 131% increase versus telapavir, where you're seeing a 62% increase in AUC. Efavirenze is a well-known 3A4 inducer. And what you're seeing here in terms of uh, both men and AUCs are significant reductions here, both with telapavir and uh, bocephavir. Now, we also know that bocephavir metabolism is not all 3A4 mediated. Some of this is through ADO reductase uh, elimination. However, we see that with these preparations here that are inhibitors of AKD or AKR, um, adoreductase inhibitors, we don't see changes in bocephavir levels. So that information needs to be clarified at this point. Now, we know that bocephavir and telapavir are 3A4 inhibitors. And here we see midazolam and atorvastatin which are 3A4 substrates. And you can see that, as you might expect, the levels of midazolam increase fivefold with bocephavir and ninefold with telapavir. 
Likewise, for atorvastatin, the AUC increases about two-fold with bocephavir and almost eight-fold with atorvastatin, meaning that tilapavir overall is, is a much more potent P450 inhibitor than bocephavir. And when we talk about some of the drug interactions, you will see the same relationship hold true. Digoxin is over here because digoxin is a prototype of a P450 substrate as well as a P-glycoprotein substrate. And we know that PGP is becoming more evident. Um, PGP is a pump that tends to pump out toxic substances from the body. At this time, we're not able to often identify or separate PGP from 3A4 inhibitions because many of these overlap. But as you can see from the digoxin, which is a prototype, that tilapavir here, by increasing the AUC almost 90%, is a pretty potent PGP inhibitor versus, digo versus digoxin bocephavir interaction, where the AUC only increases about 19%. OK, case presentation. This is a, a typical male that we have seen in clinic with genotype 1A hepatitis C. Uh, stage 3 fibrosis, who's going to start a tilapavir-based regimen prior to his liver transplant. His past medical history here shows that he probably acquired his hep C from being a hemophiliac and gets weekly factor eight infusion. He's also a well-controlled hypertensive patient with a blood pressure of 110 over 70 on amylodipine, thiazides, losartan, and also well-controlled uh, dyslipidemia on simvastatin. He also has depression and insomnia and is on escitalopram and zopidin. So with that, what changes would you consider to his medication regimen before starting this tilapavir-based regimen? Okay, little tricky question. Oops. <laughs> All right. So the the actually answer is 20. So um, I was hopefully that you might answer this question based on the data that I showed you previously. But we'll go through this data again, where if you look at atorvastatin with tilapavir, with and without tilapavir and atorvastatin, you see that the AUC increases eightfold. And currently, with tilapavir, atorvastatin is a contraindication to use. That's not true for bocephavir because of its less potent uh, 3A4 inhibition. So we wouldn't probably switch simvastatin to atorvastatin. And I agree with you that simvastatin is contraindicated with these agents. Now, notice over here uh, the levels of amylodipine, which is a prototype, of course, of a calcium channel blocker. And we would expect most calcium channel blockers to have the same effect. Here with amylodipine, the levels increase about two and a half fold, uh, causing a pretty significant drug-drug interaction. And so at this point, if you're starting somebody on a calcium channel blocker, we would recommend low doses of calcium channel blockers, such as 
2.5 to 5 milligrams of amylodipine, depending on the patient in which you are instituting therapy. And for all the other calcium blockers, we would also recommend a very low dose. Now, if somebody is already on a calcium channel blocker, we would um, monitor the blood pressure and consider reducing the dose if the blood pressure was very tightly uh, controlled and if there were other medications, other antihypertensive on board. So in terms of the antihypertensive class, we would say that ACE inhibitors and diuretics, we would not expect an interaction because these do not go through the 3A4 metabolism. Beta blockers are probably okay unless there is severe liver impairment, which is a different uh, thought process here regarding drug interactions. But beta blockers such as metoprolol and carvedilol undergo uh, metabolism through 2D6 uh, cytochrome system and not 3A4. So we do not expect an interaction here at this point, again, unless their liver disease is terrible. Um, Atenolol and natolol are renally excreted, so we wouldn't expect an interaction. Now, of the ARBs that are available here, uh, losartan undergoes both 2C9 and 3A4 metabolism, so there might be some increased levels of losartan. And at this past conference, uh, some one of the participants said that when they started tilapavir in their patient on losartan, they actually had a hypotensive crisis, which I thought was very instructive. So just be careful about uh, monitoring these patients. And we've already talked about calcium channel blockers. So this is a summary of what we would expect with the co-reductase uh, inhibitors. Of course, simvastatin, lovastatin, because of its potent metabolism through 3A4 systems are contraindicated with both bocephavir and tilapavir. Has alluded to, atorvastatin is uh, at this point avoided or contraindicated with tilapavir, but doses up to a max of 20 milligrams and in some cases up to 40 can be considered with bocephavir again, thinking that it's much less of a potent inhibitor than tilapavir. With rosuvastatin, based on its mechanism of metabolism, even though there's no data, um, we would not expect an interaction to occur here. And with pravastatin, in the HIV world, we usually say that well, if you're giving bocephavir and you're increasing pravastatin 60%, you might actually get a good response from pravastatin. So take that into consideration. And those of you who take care of HIV know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> so fluvastatin has multiple mechanisms of action. So if you're, and there's no data here, but I also would not expect it, this to be a very potent interaction. So when we look at drugs that have different cytochrome P450 system metabolism, if one system like 3A4 is inhibited, it could go through a different system. So uh, this is looking at the AUCs uh, or drug exposures with tilapavir of other med medications. And in our patient, he was taking 10 milligrams of S-citalopram. And what this uh, tells you is this is AUC that's increased and this is AUC that's decreased. And in most studies to date, S-citalopram, which um, 
uh, is undergoing 3A4 metabolism, and we don't really understand why the levels of S citalopram are decreased. And this is referring to the fact that we don't know a lot about the mechanisms of a lot of these hepatitis C protease inhibitors. But in general, the doses of S citalopram are reduced about 35 percent, and therefore you might need higher doses of this drug to treat depression. Other drugs uh, for depression, such as, uh, and we mentioned this during the case discussion, mirtazapine and sertraline, or Zoloft and Remeron, actually do undergo 3A4 metabolism, and you may get a better effect with inhibitors. And most of the other uh, SSRIs, like Paxil, uh, duoxetine, et cetera, actually do not go through 3A4 metabolism, and therefore we don't expect interactions to occur. Likewise, when we look at Zopidin, which our patient was also taking, the levels of Zopidin uh, in trials to date show about a 50, about a 45 to 50 percent reduction in AUC, and so it's very likely that somebody who's taking Ambien will require an increased dose of Zopidin to get the same effect. And that happened in one of our uh, hepatitis C patients who was uh, transplant, who was saying, who was complaining that his Zopidin was not working as well for his insomnia. Probably one of the most significant drug interactions that's uh, depicted on this is both the tacrolimus and cyclosporin levels. And here, um, tacrolimus levels are increased 70-plus fold with uh, tilapavir, and it's really a, a major contraindication. And if patients really require immunosuppressant, many of these patients are actually switch, switched to or changed to cyclosporin. Um, in cases where it cannot be changed, it's, it's seen that tilap, uh, sorry, Tacrolimus levels may often be dosed like once a week or every five days, so we're seeing a major decrease in levels, and uh, looking at the trends in levels would be most important to identify this drug interaction. And cyclosporin is much less. Um, I'm not going through bocephavir, but bocephavir drug interactions also occur with cyclosporin and tacrolimus, and as you might expect, the inter interaction with levels is much, much less. So, for instance, for tacrolimus with bocephavir, it's a 17-fold increase versus a 70-fold increase. Still nothing to, like, not pay attention to. And just to say that um, estradiol levels are decrease about 30 percent, and therefore your oral contraceptives may not be as effective in your patients. But we all know that with ribavirin, we actually would recommend two forms of non-hormonal contraception for therapy. Uh, this is uh, giving you a summary of some of the contraindications with tilapavir and bocephavir. And I'm just going to add here a torvastatin with tilapavir, and we can use all the other um, reductase inhibitors we talked about. These are all inducers, anticonvulsants, herbals, antimicrobial, sorry, um, anti-TB drugs. So we expect the levels of both bocephavir and tilapavir to go down. So it's really not recommended to use these drugs. 
You can use other anticonvulsants such as uh, Leva, Leva, which I can never say, Leva, Le, Leva Cetin. Okay, and sorry, Capra. Thank you. That's what I was supposed to say. Um, Valproic acid and also lamotrigine are possibilities. And alpha-1 receptor antagonists, this is an absolute contraindication. We have gotten away with using other alpha-1 um, antagonists, such as doxazosin, prazosin, and terazosin with much lower dosing, and of course, ergots. And this, these contraindications are, again, very similar to you who are in HIV practice, because when I first saw the contraindications for the hepatitis C agents, they are almost identical to those seen with HIV. So if you know those, you know these. And of course, uh, uh, the phosphodiesterase enzyme inhibitors, especially those when used for pulmonary hypertension. And there are dose uh, reductions similar to those for HIV therapy for sildenafil, vardenafil, and tadafil. And for sedative hypnotics, um, these are contraindicated. You can switch patients to, of course, lorazepam or uh, temazepam, which do not go through the 3A4. And this is uh, a contraindication consistent with uh, bocephavir <coughs> due to hyperkalemia. So before we move on to this case, I, I just want to say a few other uh, contra not contraindications, but drug interactions with agents that are used for asthma, such as salmeterol and fluticasone, we also see has potential increase in levels with salmeterol causing cardiac symptoms. And therefore, the recommendation is to go to formoterol. And likewise, with inhaled steroids, there is a potential for increased levels of steroids causing um, po possible cushions and Addisonian. But that needs to be individualized because as many of our asthma patients don't take these medications on a regular basis. And we're only talking about chronic administration. So this is another case that we're uh, looking at a patient that's HIV co-infected and is going to be starting telapavir and is on methadone maintenance. And the question is, do we expect to see methadone withdrawal? And so this was a study that actually was just recently published a couple of days ago on methadone and telapavir. And in this study, these were hepatitis C mono-infected patients. There was a, a cohort of about 18 of them, and a couple dropped out. And what they did was they looked at drug levels for methadone R-isomer, which is the active isomer, and found that the AUC decreased about 30% but they didn't see any withdrawal symptoms. And so at this point, they don't recommend any dose adjustments for methadone, and we don't expect patients to withdraw. And it's a very interesting mechanism, because what we're seeing here is protein displacement. So the bound levels of uh, methadone were, uh, the, uh, were displaced from the protein site by the telapavir, and what they did see was an increase in unbound uh, active R-isomer of methadone, about 25%, which is why patients did not withdraw. So there is more 
discussion and investigation whether some protein displacement may be responsible for some of the lower levels that we have seen that look like induction. But I'm not going to say that's happening because we don't know. So in our HIV patient receiving afavirenz, uh, tenofovir, and emtricitabine, which of the following tilapavir dosing is most appropriate? Okay, so there is a spattering of answers here, but the, the most correct answer at this point is 1125Q8. And let me just show you some data. This is, um, I got more time. <laughs> um, so this is, for the next few slides, we're going to look at the dual bidirectional interactions between the hepatitis C protease inhibitors and the antiretrovirals. So we're looking at dual bidirectional interaction. And I have to say, as I go through some of this data, some of this has been actually investigated. Some of this is investigated in HIV co-infected patients. Um, some of this is pure PK. And we have limited data at this time for some of this data. And I will just. Um, say that there is an ACT trial that's ongoing that's enrolling HIV co-infected patients with standard doses of all sorts of antiretrovirals, including boosted protease inhibitors, which will actually give us a better answer in terms of the actual outcome of the interaction. So keep that in mind. But uh, the interaction with the favorance, which is an inducer, is pretty well known. So if you look here, uh, looking at regular doses of tilapavir with efavirenz, you see that the tilapavir trough is decreased about 47%, which most people found significant and did make a difference. But when they actually changed the tilapavir dosing to 11.25 Q8 hour, that seemed to minimize the drug interaction that was seen when using tilapavir with efavirenz. And that is the recommended dose of tilapavir, 11.25 Q8 hours when given with efavirenz. Uh, notice here that etravirine uh, also decreased uh, somewhat tilapavir. And some of you may know that etravirine is also an inducer. And therefore, we expect that to happen. Uh, Repervirine is only a 3 3A4 substrate. And so we don't expect any, any significant interaction. And those numbers there are not significant. But when we look at the effects of tilapavir on the NNRTI levels, you can see here that with the increased dose of efavirenz with the tilapavir, those are not significant findings. So we see with etravirine, no significant finding. With repervirine, which is a 3A4 substrate, this is expected that the levels go up significantly. And um, at this point, even though it is considered OK to use repervirine, I wonder whether there are toxicities associated with the higher levels of repervirine, really mostly QT prolongation. So if we look at protease inhibitors with tilapavir, 
the only one that's been studied and seems to be okay to use at this time is boosted atazanavir, where there's not very significant changes in telapavir levels versus those of other boosted protease inhibitors. And you can see really significant um, decreases in the telapavir, CMIN, and AUC. So at this point, it's not recommended to use telapavir with other protease inhibitors while awaiting the trials that are ongoing now from the ACTG group. Now, what if you're using, um, and this is looking again at the converse about what about telapavir on ARV kinetics. And with uh, boosted atazanavir, you can see the MIN increases 85%. So therefore, there could be a potential for increasing risk of hyperbilirubinemia when using atazanavir. And many of you who have used this combination may see an exaggerated rise in the indirect billing which I, would I say is really doesn't seem to be too detrimental. Now, what if this patient is on bocephavir? At this time, the combination of bocephavir with efavirenzine is uh, not recommended due to significant changes in the bocephavir level, although ripivirine and etravirine can be used. And this is looking at converse on non-nuke levels. You can see that Again, the repervarine levels are significantly increased. And then again, with uh, boosted protease inhibitors, at this time, uh, bocephavir is not recommended with boosted protease inhibitors because of concerns about failure. And most of that would be about virologic failure from the HIV perspective. Um, these are data that looked at raltegavir with both bocephavir and telapavir. I think you can see from the data that these curves are almost superimposed on each other. And so we don't expect an interaction. And we know that raltegavir can be used um, with bocephavir and telapavir without any dose adjustments and no concern of virologic failure from either end, HIV or hep C. So this is a summary of some of the data that we've just gone through. I'm not going to go through all of it because we've, we've talked about this. Please note that in your um, syllabus, there was a typo here that said 400. It's really 800 TID with food. And um, there is some concerns about toxicity from the antiretrovirals at this point. OK, which statement best describes the drug-drug interaction seen with Telapavir, PEG, and ribavirin. Okay, so let's talk about this. And actually, the 20% of you, um, great answer. Now, having said that, <laughs> Um, what we have, this is, this is data from Croy. So this is not my research, but it, it comes from Hammond et al. and Kaiser at the University of Colorado. And, and before I present this data, I just want to uh, say that the data set is very small. So you see here five patients. And, but I thought it was a really interesting study, very impressive, that they found that telapavir increased the ribavirin AUC about 
in patients who got that. And this was seen, and, and this tells you about the triple therapy and the dual group. So this is PEG, PEG riba versus PEG riba tilapavir. And this was found to be consistent in the, in the PBMCs as well as in the RBCs concentrations that all the different monophosphates and the diphosphates and the triphosphate levels were all higher in the group that got tilapavir versus tilapavir, PEG, and riba versus the group that just got PEG and riba. And here you can see the concentrations of RBC plotted out. This is when tilapavir was discontinued, and therefore you can see that the concentrations of both the triphosphate, which is the more active moiety versus the dye and the, the monophosphate, all went back down when tilapavir was discontinued. So um, again, I would just say that there was only a very small patient population of five patients, but there was a significant increase of ribavirin levels of 54%, and it was associated with a greater decline in hemoglobin. So we don't, the, the authors don't know the mechanism for this um, at this point. They made some uh, possible mechanisms that they talked about. I'm not going to go through all of this because it's pretty much conjecture. But I do want to remind you that ribavirin levels are increased with food consistently more than when taken with a fasting condition. So it could be that when we're giving tilapavir plus ribavirin and we're dosing them at the same time, we're giving a much higher fat content. And could that potentially be a reason? And I'm really speculating because I don't know. So there's going to be ongoing research about whether this is going to be a true phenomenon. But it, it really is quite interesting. And so to summarize uh, the drug interactions, I can say that 3A4 metabolism clearly plays a role. And some interactions are probably mediated by other transport proteins that we don't have a lot of data on. But those uh, investigations are ongoing. And like I started off by saying that some of these interactions that look like induction, although we don't have evidence of induction, really need further clarification. OK, so to answer the question that we started with, which statement best describes the drug interaction potential of bocephavir and tilapavir? Wow, you guys are impressive, 90%. So I'm very impressed. Thank you so much. Um, we're, <laughs> I'm not quite done yet. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thanking you ahead of time. But all I'm going to say is that we, it's very, very difficult for everybody to know all about the drug interactions. It's just not going to happen. And there's not a lot of data out there. So what would you do as a clinician now if you want to know what, uh, what about the drugs that you're taking? I think it's very important, as we uh, talked about before, to get a complete drug interaction history, including not only over-the-counter medications as well as prescribed medications, but also herbals. And I've listed some drug interaction resources for you to look at. 
the Liverpool Drug Interaction Database is a very nice database because it's updated pretty frequently, frequently, and it's pretty easy to use. Likewise, the University of Toronto Immunodeficiency Clinic uh, uh, also does a very nice summary of a lot of the drug interactions. And there's other interactions here that uh, websites that can be used. And so I'm just going to show you the, the drug interaction website here from Liverpool. You just sort of click this, and then it gives you a summary of the different agents plus different drugs that you can add to it. So it's a very nice interaction site. I would recommend you try using it just to get a feel for it. OK. So am I supposed to do this one too again? I always check for interactions. OK, please do this last question, and then we'll really be done. Great. Thank you so much. You guys did a great job. Yay. <laughs> and that's really hard after lunch. Anyway, I'm open for questions now. OK. Thanks again, Betty. So we have a few questions from the audience. And feel free to come up to the microphone. What? Oh, you want to do this one too? We need to do this one. OK, but one we, more question. We did this one, didn't we? Oh, we didn't do this one. OK, this sorry. This is your post, right? They did it before, right? Oh. OK, do, do it, it again. again. Make us Go. happy. These questions are hard. Wow. Whoa. Wow, you guys are. How many voted? Wait a second. Was that one vote? 23 okay. of you guys. Awesome. Okay. All right, so now we have some other questions for oh. you, Betty. So a question about Stribald. Any data with tilapavir or bocephavir? Uh, so, so Stribal, for some of you who don't know this, is a combination of uh, basically tenofovir, emtricitabine, uh, ritonavir-like agent, <laughs> ritonavir-like agent, cobacistat, um, and uh, uh, L-vitegavir. So with L-vitegavir, we probably would not expect an interaction because it is an uh, integrase inhibitor. But I, I can't tell you about cobacistat. But when, when you're comparing cobacistat <coughs> to ritonavir, cobacistat is definitely an inhibitor. So it's likely that there's going to be an interaction there. But I, I don't know because that's not been studied. But I would expect that there would be something that would happen there. So the Second question, one was the same thing, whether it was the L-vitegravir or the copacistat component, which you just answered, or most likely to be. And it says, uh, if a patient is on a protease inhibitor and warfarin, would the warfarin dose have to be increased or decreased? Oh, OK. So, so that's a little bit um, tricky. So if we use the HIV model as an example, with warfarin, uh, so with warfarin, HIV protease inhibitors usually actually reduce the levels. Well, I shouldn't say that. It goes both ways. You can't, you can't really tell. Warfarin levels can go up or down. But in my experience, where I've seen a lot of patients on ritonavir-boosted protease inhibitors, it actually, there is more of an induction effect on the warfarin. And that we're seeing that you actually have to increase the dose of warfarin several fold. In fact, uh, sometimes we've had to increase it like twofold. And in other times, 
we've seen an inhibition effect. So I think it really is quite variable. And of course, we would have to put into that equation what their liver function is and other medications that may be happening. So I would say that that's not an easily cleared um, interaction. I think you just need to monitor the INR because you can expect the interaction to go both ways. Anything else? Thank you all. Any Thank you. Questions? Thanks, Betty.